Our service tonight from the book of Genesis, chapter 19. We've looked a few sermons already in chapter 18 and 19, and so we'll spend another few here in 19 and another one out of 18 as well uh, this week on mercy and judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we've looked at some of the buildup to this historical event. And so picking up in Genesis 19, verse 1, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. He said, Here now, my lords, please turn in to your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet, and then you may rise early and go on your way. Pretty nice, eh? We'll get more into him in another week. And they said, no, but we will spend the night in the open square, right? It's kind of a test, maybe, you know? No, we'll just stay out here in the open square, see what happens. And verse 3, Lot insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house, and then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Again, very nice him. And again, we'll have a whole sermon just on Lot. We'll get more into him and his whole life, or at least biblical accounts of his life uh, from beginning to the last mention of him in the Bible in a different week. Verse 4, before they lay down, the men of the city and the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. They called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So in verse 1, it identified these two men as angels. Here it refers to them as men. So initially, Lot just saw them as men. They came in in appearance as men, incarnate in human form. Angels not wearing their wings and, you know, whatever, glowing or anything like that. They just uh, came in the appearance of men. Lot just recognized them as that and invited them in. And the men of the city just recognized them as just ordinary men. And so came uh, knocking on the door and demanding that they come out, that they may know them carnally. And we looked at the whole sin of Sodom, sodomy, that they were wanting to do here and in detail in a previous week. You can see that on shalomadventure.com. So we won't go too much more into details of that, but we do see that is the sin, the uh, main sin that they are identified with. Verse 6, so Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Now, I have no idea what on earth that was going on, through, what was going on in his head uh, at that moment. I'm not even going to try and give commentary on, on Lot with that one. I, I don't know, you know what, uh, what, what he was thinking. But nonetheless, that is the biblical account. And so we do see Lot kind of vacillating all over the place in his mind as far as righteous deeds. Verse 9, they said, stand back. This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So their own words here, now testifying that Lot has been acting as a judge. 
So no doubt in his lifestyle, as we've just seen, his, his head is not fully screwed on tight, but still something in his lifestyle, something in his life, something in his words brought conviction to them that they felt judged. Now, it doesn't mean he was judging them, but something about his life, what he was doing, what he wasn't doing, what he was saying, brought conviction to them, and they felt under judgment because of it. So they knew they were doing wrong, and then here they say, now we will deal worse with you than with those two men. Now, I don't know how much worse they were planning on getting. I can't imagine what they had in mind that would be worse than what their original intent was. But the fact that they say we will deal worse with you than with them, right? You don't deal worse with someone after you did something good, right? And you can't say, okay, well, I just did you this, I gave you this gift, and now I'm going to do worse, right? That doesn't go together, right? You know, I did nice to this person, now I'm going to do worse to you. That doesn't work, right? If you're going to do worse, that means the first thing you did was already bad to begin with, right? And now it's going to be even badder, right? It's going to be even worser, right? It's going to be worse. So you did worse, and now you're doing worser, right? Even worse, deal worse with, with, uh, with you now, right? So they knew that their own testimony is saying that their original intent, sodomy, is bad. Sodomy is wrong. Sodomy is worse, right? It's bad, and this is worse even more, more worse than, uh, than what they were originally intending. They knew it was bad, is the point. Right? So they know, they're under conviction, that what they do, what they were planning on doing, is wrong. And now that they weren't able to do that wrong, they're planning on doing worse, and they know that that is bad also, because worse means bad, right? Badder, right? So they're planning on doing even worse, which, again, brings them under conviction. They know they're doing wrong, and they don't care that it's wrong. They're planning on doing it anyway. So their own words testify against them. Verse 9, they pressed hard against Lot, nearly breaking down the door, but the men reached out and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. They struck the men who were at that doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. And so not only were they planning on doing worse, they began to act on their plans and began pressing hard against him, almost to the point of breaking down the door. So thinking violently and now acting violently, and again, knowing this is wrong all the time. And then the angels reach out, again describes them as men, the angels reach out, pull them in, somehow miraculously are able to do that and still shut the door without anyone else getting in. And then miraculously place blindness on those, at least those closest to the door, if not all who are outside. That they can't find the door and become weary looking for the door. That's miraculous, boom, right there, demonstrating uh, that they were not just men, Verse 12, the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in the city, take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So I mentioned here, do you have son-in-law, and we'll see, son-in-law, 
and we'll see here in a moment, he does have son-in-laws, mentions sons, mentions daughters. We know there's two daughters. We already read that. At least two daughters, plus with son-in-laws, other daughters. Uh, but the Bible doesn't mention sons, so why it mentions it here, whether they were just kind of throwing that out there as if they didn't know. Obviously, if there are angels coming down, they did know whether or not he had sons or not. So they, they might be mentioning because maybe he does have sons, but he doesn't go and seek them out for whatever reason, or there's no mention of them. Or they just kind of threw that out. Hey, do you know anyone? Son-in-law, sons, daughters, plumber, someone. You know somebody who might want to hear the message of the Lord and uh, you know, that you want to go tell that we're going to destroy the city. And it says here that the outcry against them has grown great. Well, who is crying out? Where is God hearing this outcry against this city that has grown very great in its wickedness? The righteous. And the victim? The victims. The victims. There are no righteous. <laughs> I mean, we'll see that. The guy, Abraham prayed down to 10. And we'll see there's only three who get out. And even though don't seem so righteous. So it's the victims. Unrighteous can be victims of unrighteous, right? That's the point. Is that when we are living in our carnal state, when we are living in our natural state, or living in the state we're born in, that we all are, we're all carnal, we're all unclean until we're born again, and even then there is a process of God changing us and transforming us and sanctifying us and cleansing us, changing us, we hurt others. In our carnal state, we hurt others. And so not only were they wanting to hurt the angels, not only were they wanting to hurt Lot, they were hurting each other. And an outcry was going up to heaven. Now, the people might not have been crying out to God in heaven, but God hears our cry, even before we know him. He is connected with and concerned for and touched with the feelings of our infirmities and he knows the cries of our heart, even before we know him. He loves us, and he knows what we're going through, and he feels our pain. And so he felt the pain of those who were being abused, and that's what this system does. In a carnal nature, you know, and here they call it gay. What a misuse and twisting of a term, an abuse of a, a word and a misgendering of a term. Changing it, it's meaning. It's not gay, it's violent. It's under conviction. It does wrong and it knows it's wrong. And it hurts, they hurt one another. We hurt one another in our carnal state. We're not a happy state when we're in disobedience to God. We're under conviction, we feel judged, And we get violent, and we want to do harm to others. And we do harm to our others and to ourselves. And so the outcry went up. People were hurting. People were in pain in this city. Beautiful city. Out in what the Bible calls like the Garden of Eden. They had plenty. They had beauty. They had fruits and grains and crops. And Lot wanted to bring his herds down there. They had finances. They had wealth, the valley of Sidon, and yet they misused it and abused it. And today as well, 
some beautiful areas of this world, Key West, other areas that have God's beauty there naturally and have been taken and destroyed by the carnal nature and carnal sinful passions. I mean, in destroying what was once beautiful. And then they take God's symbol, a rainbow, a symbol of judgment, a reminder that God destroyed this earth once with rain and will destroy it again with fire. That very symbol they place on their pride flag. Proud of our sins. In the face of God. Defiance of God. He's not going to do it again. But he did do it again. Destroyed the earth with water. Destroys, we'll see in this chapter, the cities with fire. And will again destroy next time the whole earth with fire. And so the very symbol is to remind us each time we see a beautiful rainbow, the beautiful colors that God created, miraculously created, miraculously gave us eyes to appreciate colors, the miraculous to our eyes to be able to differentiate between colors. Yes, there's a physical thing of the light reflecting off water. Well, that's an amazing thing. That there's light is an amazing thing. That there's water is an amazing thing. That an H and a two O's got together is an amazing thing and create water. And as the light reflects off of it, that's an amazing thing. It makes all these colors. That's amazing. That's miraculous. It all testifies that there is a creator God. And in defiance of a creator God, they steal one of the colors off the rainbow or throw away one of the colors of the rainbow. In defiance of God, that reminds that God gives us as a reminder that sin will have a disastrous result. And so the outcry st stands against them as well. Stands against them in judgment. Stands against the lifestyle. Stands against the rejection of God. That even among their own people of the city, they were victims, crying out in their pain and suffering. And in the mercy of God, God was not going to destroy the city if there were 50 righteous there. He's not going to destroy it if there were 45, if there were 40, if there was 30, if there was 20, if there was 10. He wouldn't have destroyed that city. Mercy of God. And we love the mercy of God. Wow. He is so kind and long-suffering. But also in him that he allows that long-suffering to go on. In that he is abundant in mercy means also that people crying out, people in pain, people experiencing suffering ends up continuing as well. In order for God to be merciful to the sinner and give us free choice and allow us to act out on those free choices means that somebody is going to suffer. And that's the horrible but strange manifestation that takes place when there is a pouring out of mercy and a giving of time for sin to play out. There's an unfortunate effect that there will be hurt, there will be pain, that there will be suffering. But one day God will bring all that suffering to an end. And he allows all these things to stand against them in the judgment. And he will, one day, make it all right. 
Verse 14, Lot went out and spoke to his son-in-laws who had married his daughters and said, get up and get out of this place for the Lord will destroy the city. So Lot goes out, very brave of him. <laughs> I After that experience, them coming, breaking down the door, wanting the two men and wanting, refusing his names and wanting to do worse to him and being pulled miraculously in the house. I wouldn't have got out from under the bed. <laughs> I would still be, you know, hiding there. Uh, he goes out of the city, out of his house, into the city, looking for his son-in-law. So, I mean, that's pretty uh, bold of him. You know, so he goes out and he seeks them out and he says to them, God's going to destroy this city. The Lord's going to destroy this city. And he speaks to his son-in-laws. doesn't mention sons again, but just mentions son-in-laws. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. They rejected the message. After all that they had opportunity to see and hear, and from their own father-in-law, speaking no doubt with passion and conviction, they did not listen. Verse 15, And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. We'll get more into a whole sermon on Lot's wife and more on Lot and his lingering in another week. Verse 24, the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah. He overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. Sad fate. Destroyed them with fire. God is very long-suffering and merciful, but there will be a judgment day. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be a day of a holding accountability. In Jude chapter 7, it says, Sodom and Gomorrah, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so it's there today as a testimony today. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are laying there in the plains of the Dead Sea. You can see it. You can go there. We've been there, taking groups there. Some of you have been there with us. Next week, we'll get more into this. Next week, I'll bring you some ashes from Sodom and Gomorrah. You'll be able to feel it yourself. The powder and ashes. We've seen brimstone there. Taking the brimstone, taking like the upper picture, light it on fire. Burn, smell the sulfur. We'll have a video of that next week. It stays there as a testimony of rejection of God, of the sin, of the sexual immorality. That again is what's listed here against them, going after strange flesh. How does God feel about Sodom and Gomorrah? Abraham, back to Genesis 19, verse 27. Abraham went out in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. 
he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land which had went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overflow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had dwelt. I'm sure Abraham's heart broke. Might not have slept that night praying with God all that day. There's 50 down to 10 righteous people there. Would you destroy the city? And then I'm sure he continued to pray. And then early in the morning, he goes to see the result of his prayers. Goes back out to the edge of the cliff, looking down on the valley. The smoke rising up. He doesn't know at this point whether or not nephew Lot was spared. He knows there's not ten righteous there. He knows that many died in the flames. And so just as Abraham's heart must have been breaking at the sight of this, obviously if he didn't care at all, he wouldn't have prayed. If he didn't care at all, he wouldn't have gone out to go see what happened the next day. So his heart must have broken, and God's heart breaks as well. The mercy of God upon Sodom. First, he allowed Lot to go and move down there. Again, another week, we'll see whether or not that was a good idea or not, or whether it was directed by God or not, but at least God allowed it, and he was down there. And the people, by their own words, said that they felt judged by him being there. So obviously he was saying something, doing something, that revealed that what they were doing was wrong. And they felt judged. And that was the mercy of God. The mercy of God was bringing conviction upon their hearts and minds. Anytime we sense conviction, anytime we sense that what we're doing is wrong, that is the love of God. That is God speaking to you. People say, oh, I want to hear God like God spoke to Moses. We get to hear God. Anytime we sense what we're doing is wrong, or that we should be doing and not doing, is wrong. God sent or allowed Lot to live there and bring conviction to them. Abraham delivered them from captivity years before this today's story. Five nations came and attacked Sodom and Gomorrah and five other nation cities. And they lost. Sodom and Gomorrah lost. And were taken captive. Everything. All their goods, all their people. Most of their men were killed, no doubt. Their own king left and ran to the hills. They were taken. They were probably going to be sold into slavery. One form or another. abused, and all their goods taken away from them. And God moved upon Abraham's heart to go and deliver them. And then miraculously, Abraham goes with a bunch of his shepherds with him and go and attack these seven armies that were battle-trained and battle-hardened, had won over many cities, had riches, had swords and weapons, and miraculously, Abraham won. 
and delivered the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. That is the mercy of God. And then their lousy king comes out and offers Abraham to keep all the goods. And Abraham says, no, give it back to the people. I don't want anyone to say you made me rich. And so not only are their lives spared, they get their stuff back because of righteous Abraham. So God allows them to come in contact with righteous Abraham so that they would have an opportunity to know right from wrong, to have a demonstration of what it really means to follow God. And then they see Abraham give a tithe to Melchizedek. So they have an opportunity to come in contact with Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace, and to see Abraham worship him. Or return to him tithe, and if he was the Lord to show worship to him, I believe it was the Lord incarnate, but, but to offer sacrifices and to offer praise to God and worship God. They had the opportunity to see God at work. And yet they rejected it. So in blessings, in having plenty, in having beauty, in having nature, in having the handiwork of God right before them, they did not receive him. Going through a calamity, difficulty, did not wake them up. They did not turn to God. Through a deliverance, seeing the power of God manifested through a human being, through a miraculous winning of a war, they did not turn to God. Abraham prayed for them down to 10 people. The mercy of God moving upon Abraham's heart to intercede in their behalf. And Yeshua himself praying for them and interceding on their behalf. This is how God feels to us in our unrighteous state. This is how God feels about us in our carnal state. Again, none of us are any better or worse than the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We're all sinners at bottom. We're all sinners without the Lord. That's why we all need to be born again. This is how God feels about us, how he feels about the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever should believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent two angels down to see for themselves. He didn't just go by hearsay. He didn't just go from the outcry that he was hearing. He came down in the flesh with two angels in the flesh, and the two angels went the extra mile down into the city itself to see for themselves to be able to testify to God for themselves what was actually happening in the city. That's the mercy of God. God won't judge just based on hearsay. God has come down to this earth. And he's down walking this earth as well now. Seeing what is going on. Seeing what is going on in our lives. Seeing what is going on throughout this world. The angels blinded the men. That was the mercy of God. The angels could have struck them dead right then and there, but they didn't. Why not? 
gave them another 24 hours to think about what they were doing, to think about what they were saying. We're going to do you worse. While they're blind, they have nothing to do but think about what their last words were. And nothing to do but think about what their intentions were, what they were planning on doing. In mercy, God blinded them because they were already blind spiritually in an effort to wake them up. Love of God manifested towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Give them 24 more hours or however much more time in their blindness to think. Say, that was powerful. <laughs> Boy, if they said they're going to he'll destroy them, they just blinded me. I bet they can do that. Still refused to listen. Lot appealed to his son in law. I had another opportunity, at least sons-in-laws did. Maybe anyone else that was in hearing of it, seeing the boldness of Lot come out of his house, or not seeing it, but hearing of it, <laughs> or knowing of it. Mercy of God. And yet they rejected it, rejected it, and rejected it. And the mercy of God is being manifested today in the same way. The long-suffering of God that allows sin to continue, to allow human beings to hurt other human beings, to hurt themselves, just so that we have more time. They have more time to repent. Just so that they have more time to receive conviction. Just so that they can turn from their wicked ways. God is long-suffering, not wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Gives us opportunity, has people, moves upon people's hearts to show signs and pass out books and pray for people. Has congregations set up at great expense and great physical work, web pages going out, sending the message. And again, great hours of work of many volunteers and great expense, all to reach lost humanity. God sending forth his spirit, bringing conviction on hearts and minds. God allowing us to be placed in cities and in places of work and in places of in schools surrounded with wickedness just so that people can see righteousness manifested. God allows us to suffer pain and be abused just so that others can see how a righteous person responds. Just so others can receive conviction that what they did was wrong just as they can turn from their wicked ways and turn to God in repentance. God's love for every single human being. But it's not a wishy-washy kind of love. It's not a love that embraces the sin. It's not a love that says, okay, I'm all right with it, that accepts the sin, that allows the sin. It's a love that reveals and exposes the sin 
and pleads with the sinner to turn from their wicked way before it is too late, before they will be destroyed, before they will receive the judgment of God. In our humanity, we have a history of falling into basically two ditches, one on either side. Come in contact with sin and then just going along with it and allowing it, not condemning it and accepting it and embracing it. Sometimes in the name of God. Or to avoid it, turn our backs on them, hate them, avoid them, shun them. But the love of God reaches out. Love of God prays and intercedes like Abraham. Love of God risks his life to go and deliver them. Love of God sent forth his son to die for them. The love of God hears the suffering and goes down to see for itself. The love of God sends warnings and messages through human beings, through miraculous occasions, through heavenly angels, but most importantly, through human agencies. The love of God is still at work today. God's moving upon our heart and mind. And he wants to win each one of us, wherever we're at, whatever situation we're at, whether a lifestyle of sodomy or murderous or violent or whether just hypocritical or complacent or uncaring, selfish-absorbed prayers, not praying for others, not praying for the sins of the world, just praying for our car to be fixed. For saying, Lord, Lord, when we don't know the Lord, when he doesn't know us. Whatever our situation, he brings conviction to us to draw us to himself. He's patient with us. Said all will have an opportunity to be saved. And so he's reaching out to each one of us here. He's reaching out, wants us to go forth and reach out to others. That's where God's heart is. And even beyond all these things, what have we got? Six, seven, one, one, two, three, four, five, six. Six items there showing the mercy of God, but it's not the end. There's a seven, of course. Right. I didn't plan it that way. <laughs> Whatever it is, it is. Uh, six things here we saw just in this account and a little bit further on in the Bible in Genesis of the mercy of God manifested towards Sodom. But even then, it's not over yet. Because Yeshua said in Matthew 11, 24, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. Talking to Capernaum and Bethsaida and the cities that Yeshua was ministering to in that day. So in the judgment... It shall be more tolerable. In future tense, when the final judgment takes place, God is going over the record books. 
the ultimate Yom Kippur, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. So God's love for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah is still being poured out, is still being manifested. He's still trying to find some reason, some excuse to allow them into heaven. Now, he won't allow any open, known, cherished, rebellious sin against him into heaven. He kicked Adam and Eve out for one sin. He kicked his covering cherub with one-third of his angels out of heaven. He's certainly not going to let us back in if we're continuing to hold on to any known, cherished, rebellious sin against him. And so if it will be more tolerable in Sodom, for Sodom and Gomorrah in the judgment, because what did they have? They had a lot. They had a little bit of contact with Abraham. What did Capernaum have? It had Yeshua right there with him. It had disciples right there. It had Yeshua's message preached in the synagogue. It had miracles performed in the city. People healed, people delivered. Moniacs set free. They had the first part of the Bible. The Torah, the writings, the prophets. More light available to them. Thus God in his judgment will grade on a scale what we've had opportunity to know. So it'll be more tolerable. I'm not saying that there's going to be anyone from Sodom and Gomorrah into heaven, but it's possible still. Maybe some children, maybe some people in ignorance. More tolerable. So if it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for Capernaum, it will be more tolerable in the judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you and me. For the people in this country in this day and age, who have the rest of the Bible, who have the Gospels and the miracle of Yeshua, miracles of Yeshua written out for us, who have the letters from Paul and other apostles, who have Bibles at stores all over the place, at hotels all over the place, Bibles in our pockets, on our phones, with us all the time, in whatever font and size you need, available to us, not on some scroll only at the synagogue, but available to every single person in languages galore. With 2,000 years of God's working and miracles, people translating the Bible and writing the Bible by hand and passing it down at the pain of death and dying to pass it on, we have the blood of the martyrs. We have faithful people down through the ages, keeping the Sabbath, keeping kosher, keeping the Torah, being herded into synagogues and burned for their faith. God's word still stands and God's people still remain. We have 2,000 years of God's handiwork sustaining us and maintaining us and holding us fast. Martyrs down through the ages with it. Suffering and death down through the ages with it, but nonetheless, God still reigns and we still remain. 
the miracles of God that we've seen in our own lives, in our own hearts, in people that we know, in God bringing conviction, in God bringing warnings to us. We have so much more opportunity. Thus, in the judgment day, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. So again, the mercy of God manifested towards them. And if we have the heart of God, we also will have mercy and love, but a true mercy and a true love that pleads for their souls. That doesn't approve of their wrongs. That doesn't accept their sins. That doesn't condone and excuse their sins, but calls it out in love for them, not wanting that they should perish, but that they should come to a knowledge of the truth, that they might be delivered, that they might experience the transformation of God, the power of God that changes from sinners to redeemed. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we might be called sons and daughters of God, that he might fill us with true joy and happiness in the face of adversity, with peace of mind, with love for the lost, with compassion and forgiveness to those that have hurt us, with victory over sin, with self-control, new minds, new desires, new passions, new lifestyles, with self-control and in every aspect of our lives. With strength and with power. And with conviction. The love of God manifested. The, the grace of God working in our lives. And so in a moment when we pray, God is bringing conviction to you. There's some area in your life that's not been right with him. Surrender it now. God is appealing to you. God's been very merciful to you. He's brought you to this day, sustained you and kept you alive so you can hear this appeal now. The conviction of God is coming upon your heart. If some area in your life that's not right with him, surrender it in a moment. Accept his forgiveness through the blood of the Messiah. and receive the Holy Spirit to transform you and change you. Secondly, if you want to just thank God for the mercy of God, the mercy of God manifested to you, that he didn't destroy you the first time you sinned, first time you turned your back on him, you see the mercy of God towards Sodom and Gomorrah, the long-suffering manifested there, the years of patience and opportunities given to them, and you just want to thank him for being that type of a God. And the moment when we pray, you can do that. Just praise him and thank him for being all merciful, long-suffering. Mercy of God endures forever. Yes, amen. Third, if God is bringing to your mind someone that needs to hear the warning of God. We have a son-in-law, sons, daughters, Neighbors, plumbers, electricians, lawyers, doctors, somebody, parents, someone who needs to hear the message of God.
whether living in a life of sodomy or living in a life of denial. Beneath the message of God. Then a moment when we pray, ask God to give you love for them, true love for them. Not only the right words. Jonah had the right words, but he didn't have the right heart. Lot had the right words. We not, not only the right words and the right action to move forward, but the right heart to truly love. And that combination is very powerful. Right, we can take signs and just nail them to signposts. <laughs> it's not the same as a loving human person being praying for each car that goes by, praying for each person we see. It's power. Yeah. You just send forth Bibles, we can just mail them out to everybody. It's a whole lot different when it's delivered by hand. It's a whole lot when the message is brought forth from someone who's become close to them. It's come down like the angels came down into the city. Somebody you know, if God's bringing to mind some group of people or some individual that he's calling you to reach, he's calling you to talk to, he's calling you to share God's love with, balanced love, truthful love, one that loves the sinner but does not condone the sin. And a moment when we pray, ask God to give you the grace and the power and the words for him to go before you to deliver his message, whether with word or with deed, in some way, shape, or form. Or maybe God's speaking to your heart in some other area or some other thing from that he's bringing to your mind. And as we pray, let us let God do his work. We thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering mercy towards each one of us, towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your opportunities that you send forth for them to know you and for us to know you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your son so we can be delivered from that lifestyles of sin. Thank you, Yeshua, for dying for our sins. We want to surrender them to you. We want to accept your forgiveness because of your death in our behalf. We want the power of your Holy Spirit to live in us and out of us. Lord, thank you that you will not allow sin to continue forever. You will not allow suffering to continue forever, that you will eventually put an end to it, as you did with the flood, as you eventually did with Sodom and Gomorrah, as eventually you'll do on this earth. Thank you, Lord, that you are also a God of judgment. Thank you that you will hold accountable all those who have hurt your children. Lord, send us forth as your emissaries to warn this world, to warn those around us, to warn those you've put us in contact with. Give us your heart. Give us your message. Give us your boldness to go forth. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.